0: Amanda Stevenson is the curator of the Museum of Printing History in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the Bibliophile and our Literary Tourist series.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
0: Why should the literary tourist come to the Museum of Printing History?
1: Well, there's a lot of reasons. It's really a unique experience to come, and we pride ourselves on being a hands-on museum, so you get to pull prints from period presses, which I think is something you won't find in most places.
0: Yeah, it's not hands-off. It's definitely
1: hands-on, and and it's one of the things about these old printing presses is they're built to last. You get to pull a print from an 1850s press that an actual printer from 1850 used to make a a living on, and you get to learn about that process, and it it brings a whole new perspective to um, the way we do things today.
0: The amount of work that might have been involved in producing a, a newspaper page, for example? Absolutely.
1: I mean, the amount of work that went into producing it and the pride that people took in that production because, I mean, it took not just the years of, of training and the skill involved and, you know, operating the presses and pride in, in that, that product, I mean, of, of how how well um,
0: crafted
1: it, it is.
0: So the, it was yeah. a profession it was regarded as an, obviously an, an important profession. Sure.
1: Yeah. So. And there's a, a rich history and tradition uh, with printing. Mm-hmm. And I think even you'll talk to printers today, and they, they feel a link to that tradition mm-hmm. and history. And I think it's something that most people kind of take for granted because it's so easy for us today to hit print on our computers and pages just, just come out of the printer. And that's great. I mean, and that's what's fuels our you know our economy and day-to-day life but to be able to take the time to to look back on on the history i think is really important
0: so you have specific examples of all sorts of different types of printing mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. lining the walls
1: sure so we are challenged with telling the the story of printing history in a limited space and you know, some of the earliest things that we have in the collection that are on display date from Asia, from the 8th century. A lot of people aren't aware that printing from movable type uh, was actually invented in China, <laughs> and the Chinese were, you know, carving characters in wood. It didn't quite catch on like it did in the West when Johann Gutenberg around 1450 kind of reinvented the process by casting metal type. So we have an example, a scroll that's one of the first examples of printing onto paper. It's from Japan from the 8th century. So you can see that when you come to the museum. And then um, we sort of jump forward to 1450 Germany and talk about Johann Gutenberg's innovations, we should say, mainly metal typecasting and the press that he developed and a special ink recipe that he developed for printing that's not too dissimilar from printer's ink today
0: yeah that's one thing that's kind of extraordinary is how this technology hasn't really changed a great deal in, until right now mm-hmm. uh, over the years yeah right? i
1: would i would say you know mid-century mid-20th century with the change between what's called hot type to cold type, where we started integrating a lot of digital technologies. Printing has changed dramatically today. But from Gutenberg's time through uh, the early 20th century, the whole process of printing is really very similar. You You have your type, your type form, you lock into a press, and it's printed relief. I mean, there was a lot of innovation during that time,
0: you know, well, yeah, mechanization as, as much as anything right,
1: right, right, and the invention of the linotype machine
0: Which you uh, have a uh, an we have
1: of. a working linotype machine here at the museum um it does take a long time t- for it to sort of get fired up, so we don't demo that machine very often for special occasions, we will do it, but on a regular visit. You know, everyone gets to pull a print from our replica Gutenberg press. That's a a fun thing to do, a unique experience. Not many people get to do that in their lives. And then we move on to the Americana Gallery, and we have a press there where people get to print a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And so read period newspapers about the Civil War. you can read the Emancipation Proclamation, um, the Gettysburg Address from an actual newspaper from the time period.
0: You also show how books are produced.
1: mm mm-hmm. So we talk about how um, a type form on a press might have been laid out so that the actual printing is only you know the first part of book production. Um, and how the printers and binders really had to work together so that you would have a a functioning book with all the pages in the right order. You know, people look at a book and today, and it it seems almost like a, um, a mystical object. You know, how is this created, if you really thought about it? But, you know, books have been produced pretty much put together anyway in terms of page and position the same way for hundreds of years. And if you really take that apart, you know, the whole book becomes demystified.
0: You also provide somewhat of a of a history lesson, particularly of, of the United States. You, you, there's all sorts of important, if not documents, well, the, the documents themselves, but also the way that Americans uh, were informed about various historic events.
1: One of the th- common themes that we try to express here at the museum is um, we have all of this really great equipment and machines and type but the real important thing is to talk about not just these neat machines but really what they did you know the the output and how information was spread for hundreds of years I mean this is how people became educated and informed about the world around them it's interesting to see a paper from 1850 and see what was important to the 1850 person (laughs) And it's quite different than than what what we see today.
0: But on the other hand, there's also similarities too. You mentioned the printer who was responsible for printing the Declaration of Independence had a had a sort of a, an advertising mm-hmm. sheet or newspaper that was much like Craigslist.
1: That's the Dunlaps Daily Advertiser and the news articles were on the inside of the paper, and at the outside, the front and the back page, were all about the ships that had come into harbor and what goods were available on the ships, you know, tea and sugar and rum, um, you know, that, that's what would have been important to someone picking up, you know, Dunlap's daily advertiser it was like, where can I get, you know, these goods, um, services for hire, services needed, like, it was really interesting on the front page. There's both an ad for wet nurse for hire, but also an ad for seeking wet nurse. And we wonder mm-hmm. if they actually connected courses for sale. Really interesting
0: things. Yeah, before. I think that's all. Now maybe the different publication, but it was a it was right on the front page, and it was a library for sale, uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. You know, that you, you didn't know if you see that today. But the fact that it was on the front page of the newspaper. uh...
1: You'll also see little, often little tidbits of crime story (laughs) information. (laughs) Like there's one on one of the papers here. Where um, it says so and so was, you know, arrested for shooting an Irishman with whom he refused to drink, and then <laughs> it's on to the next little news. It's funny how there's these differences, but still in small town newspapers they have the crime beat, you
0: know, and yeah, that so there's change. a lot of
1: similarities.
0: Well, the other thing, too, that you have is a really a, a comprehensive collection of printing machines and how they've evolved over over mm-hmm. time. So you go mm-hmm. from Gutenberg, a, a replica of mm-hmm. Gutenberg's press mm-hmm. that works and yes. that people can use them as part of a tour, but then you you move from that Columbia press you were talking about mm-hmm. and then into the Linotype.
1: yes. So that Colombian press is from about 1850. It's an example of an iron hand press. And then in the late 19th century, sure. we have what are called country newspaper presses that are automatic presses powered either by steam or later by motors, but that were able to generate high quantities of material. So they would have either printed books or newspapers on something like that.
0: And you've got some beautiful examples of Albion presses
1: mm-hmm. that were actually revived by the fine press movement. Um, the sort of idea of the craft of printing, you know, being so valued. So there were a lot of printers like William Morris that were really interested in using this equipment to produce beautiful books
0: much more than just the utilitarian
1: right. And I think I mean during the you know, the late part of the Industrial Revolution there was a lot of this fear of like we're losing all of this craft, you know, across society. I think we could probably compare that to today, you know, there's a lot of fear of like what we lose in in gaining all this, you know, easy access to information. I mean in our field in printing history there's a big fear of, you know, a lot of things just aren't being printed anymore. Phone books aren't being printed anymore. (laughs) I think uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica is no longer going to be printing. You know, so many just businesses of all sizes have gone to email newsletters. They're not printing newsletters anymore and just really cutting back on printing so
0: and also there's the fear that h- there're no real physical records so that, that, right. that the history can more easily be yeah, changed and and yeah, and manipulated yeah. and erased.
1: I mean newspapers are going out of business, journalists are being fired, <laughs> laid off. So yeah, a period of great change and fear which has you know happened throughout history.
0: Well, yeah, yeah I mean the same sort of huge Change took place around Gutenberg's invention. Do you sort of f- focus on some of the changes that might have taken place back then and as sure. a, as a reference to my, what may be taking place now right. and some of the pitfalls yeah, we, to avoid
1: We talk about how this period fourteen fifty to fifteen hundred is is so important in terms of you know it's the very beginnings of printing. As, as we know it in the West, and it's called the Incunabula period. And prior to that, it's estimated there were some 30 to 40,000 manuscript books in existence in Europe, mostly in the hands of the church. After this this period, there were just great advances in printing. So after the Incunabula period, there were just millions, millions of books in circulation, and they weren't just religious books. They were, works of literature and scientific works and there's just great advances then at the amount of knowledge that's available. That's Fewer gatekeepers. Right. I mean the rise of the university system.
0: Just could you explain precisely what canabula period, what is that very specifically?
1: The word comes from the Latin meaning from the cradle. Mm-hmm. So it's from from the cradle of printing. During that time period there was a lot of fear about this invention that was from the devil. <laughs> of course, that was the church's...
0: Take on, design. yeah. <laughs> Threat.
1: But there was not a lot of standardization in terms of page design and typography. Gutenberg printed his masterpiece, the Gutenberg Bible, using the German black letter... In Latin, it's very difficult for us to read you know, today, even though it's printed so beautifully. You know, during that time period, he was training printers, and this this new technology caught on all over uh, Western Europe, and people started printing in the language of the people using um, like Roman letter forms that are very recognizable to us today. So I think that's kind of what characterizes that in period, things becoming more standard.
0: What would end it?
1: As far as I'm aware, it's kind of a random in period of fifteen hundred.
0: And that at that point there was a greater standardization? Was that what that characterized I, I would think so yeah.
1: yeah. And there was more of a division of labor as well during the incannabular period. Printers also cast the type. After that period, you find more specialization within printing. So, there were people who just cast type and they've got really good at casting type. Um, then, you have different presses, you know, and innovations in press design. All of that started to take shape. As far as I'm aware, nothing earth shattering happened in 1500 to create that line. And
0: then we do a jump quite a bit further forward and you Mm -hmm. showed me your uh, lithograph stones during our tour you mentioned the fact that the best stones were mined in germany Mm -hmm. i wonder what separates that from the rest of the limestone around the world
1: i wouldn't know about that i know there was some lithography done on marble but I don't think that it was as high quality as the, the German limestone.
0: When did that come in, roughly?
1: Well, there was a Frenchman named uh, Senefelder, and he developed this process of stone lithography, late 1700s, 1798, I believe. And we do have a replica of the very first lithography press as well here at the museum.
0: And you mentioned three different woodcut relief intaglio and lithography. these mm-hmm. were... I would say those say are the those three are. major
1: types of historic printing processes, and relief printing is by far the oldest. I mean, it has um, centuries and centuries of history behind it. I mean, the woodcut is a relief process, uh, any sort of letterpress printing, and that's where you have a raised surface, and it's the raised surface that prints. So you ink, ink the raised surface. Wood engravings are a relief process. The term engraving um, is most generally considered an intaglio process, but when you talk about wood engravings, there's wood engravings and wood cuts, and wood, they're both relief processes, so that can be confusing, that term engraving. But wood cuts are generally cut on the plank side of the wood, and then wood engravings, uh, which were a very popular way to do illustrations in the 1800s. Thomas Buick is known, in developing that process or popularizing that process and wood engravings are done on the ingrain. One's um,
0: with the grain, one sort of cut against the grain. Yeah, right? wood
1: engravings would be, I guess you could say against the grain, on the what's called the in ingrain. Mm-hmm. And then wood cuts are along the plank of the wood, so with the grain. What made wood engravings, you know, so successful is that if, when you carve into that in grain, it creates a very strong plate i guess you could say that's not going to break down so easily
0: and what about intaglio
1: it's um, so where you have a plate usually a like a copper plate that's worked with tools or acids to create the image areas and a recessed part of the plate so the you,
0: opposite of the relief
1: that's right so it requires a different type of press that's going to exert an enormous amount of pressure so the iron the, the iron hand presses that we have here are would generally just be used for uh, relief printing, but if you have an intaglio press, it's called sometimes a rolling press, so it has a a roller that comes down on the plate and exerts a lot of pressure, and and usually the the paper would be dampened to absorb that ink.
0: Any brand names that come to mind?
1: The old intaglio press that we have in our collection is called, it's a Kelton, Kelton and Sons press. Okay. But, you know, there's a lot of images of, like, Rembrandt used uh, an intaglio press. I'm not sure what brand that was. <laughs> but if you see images of, like, him in the studio, then it's he's pulling on an uh, intaglio. Okay. And they would have big spokes um, because, you know, it takes a lot of effort to pull that across with that amount of pressure.
0: And finally, lithography then.
1: Well, here at the museum we have our um, 1830s Star Wheel lithography press. Charles Kreiner is our artist-in-residence, and he um, creates some beautiful images on the stones that we have in our collection and then prints editions on that, that press.
0: So does he actually draw right on the stone with mm-hmm. a charcoal or some grease? or?
1: With a we call a grease pencil. And so he creates those image areas with the grease pencil, and then the uh, lithography is based on this principle of the grease-water resist, And so after the image is drawn on the stone, then he etches the stone with gum arabic and just etches that image slightly into the surface of the stone. Then,
0: Sorry, he traces what he's done with the grease pen with? Uh,
1: So when he's done with the image using that grease pencil, then he'll use a solution of gum arabic to just etch that image into the stone. So it's
0: sort of an acid that bites into the stone?
1: Yeah, just slightly. So that the image area accepts the ink, and the non-image area repels the ink. And so after the ink is rolled on the stone, then you can take just a sponge with water and wipe off all the excess ink. It won't stick to those non-image areas. And then you use a lithography press to print that print lithography press has a scraper bar versus a roller or a platen
0: you also hold all sorts of workshops related mm-hmm. both to the classes. printing letterpress and paper making mm-hmm. uh, I,
1: widely i guess you could say the book arts so we do letterpress printing
0: these courses classes could someone who's a literary tourist look up on your website to see what's coming up, and
1: absolutely,
0: and they would take and uh, anywhere. And I would say
1: most all of our classes, um, with rare exception, are for beginners, so or people of all you know, skill level, but definitely up to beginners. Uh, most of the classes are are one day, Perfect. so you can come and just learn. I teach the letterpress business cards class, and you know most people taking that class have never done any letterpress printing. Everyone sets their card their business card or a quote it doesn't matter to me what <laughs> what you decide to set it just has to fit on the size of a business card and we proof and everyone prints sets up in a press and, and prints you know anywhere from 50 to 100 of their cards and then we redistribute the type and clean up and uh <laughs> and
0: what it's kind a of presses of fun. would they would you use
1: Well, we use the presses in our letterpress studio. Uh, We proof on a Vandercook proof press which is designed for proofing and then once everyone gets their cards and we're sure that our P's and Q's are correct and the S's are in the, the right direction and then... We set up on one of two presses. We have a Curtis and Mitchell Platten Press, which we call the School Press, and it was a press that is from about 1910, and it was used in schools to teach printing because it was something that people learned in school. And then we also have a Kelsey five-by-eight Kelsey tabletop press. And so we break into two groups. Three will be printing on the Curtis and Mitchell, and three will be printing on the Kelsey.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Kelsey because mm-hmm. so, I think it's just so fun that uh, this was a company that used to market at least some of its little presses to young boys.
1: Yeah, that's how they really...
0: When would this have been?
1: Early 1900s. And we have here at the museum a great collection of of Kelsey, not just Kelsey presses, but Kelsey materials like their newsletters and their catalogs. And you could buy a complete outfit from Kelsey for you know twenty nine dollars. They would send you the press, a collection of type, some ink, and you know a little book on how how to print, how to make money, and have fun too. I think that's. Her that they would say. But today, you know, there's a big revival and in interest in letterpress. And a lot of people, I think it's kind of funny that a lot of professional printers through the 20th century were exposed to printing um, as boys from you know being marketed to by the kelsey company and these presses were widely available and today i think a lot of people get interested in letterpress through kelsey presses because they're still out there you know they're still pretty widely available they're no longer being manufactured but there's a lot of kelsey presses they're everywhere (laughs) Mm -hmm. on the secondhand market so Mm -hmm. i've talked to a lot of job printers today who said yeah i learned i my first press was a kelsey press so we yeah, we teach on a kelsey press
0: because finally, uh, throughout the year, you have all sorts of exhibitions going on.
1: Mm-hmm. We have a very active exhibition schedule. Uh, we have over 12 exhibitions a year that you know, rotate in and out of here. And they all are linked through this, uh, the history of print. We show exhibitions of photography. We just had a wonderful exhibition of photography books from 21st Editions, a publisher based in uh, South Dennis, Massachusetts, that does just um, exquisite hand-bound photography books and limited editions. Right now we have, you know, a great exhibition of posters from a Swiss artist named Hans Ernie. Um, we like to show artists that have international and national reputations the exhibitions are either you know historic but then we show contemporary art as well wide variety
0: Well Amanda Stevenson I think you've answered my question okay <laughs> Thank you so much Thank you I've been speaking with Amanda Stevenson who's the curator of the Museum of Printing History located in Houston Texas Thanks again Thanks.